We're going to, unlike how we normally just stick in one book or one passage today, we're going to be bouncing around a little bit. Uh, but we're going to be starting in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. So if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Let me pray for us, and then we'll dive in. Father God, thank you for just the opportunity to, to come together as your people. Lord, I just I thank you for this rhythm in my life that, that I get to come together and hear your word, be with your people, be encouraged, be, be drawn up again to the glories of the gospel. Lord, we, we need this weekly rhythm. We recognize that it, it's been said that Christianity is just a crutch. And, and Lord, we're here to confess that, that that is true and that all of us walk with a limp and that we, we need your good news. We need your spirit speaking into our lives, giving us strength. And so, Spirit, come and, and do the work that only you can do of giving us eyes to see, these faithful eyes to see the truth of the gospel and believe. G- give us conviction where we need it. Give us encouragement where we need it. Do, do a work today in the ways that only you can do. Finally, Lord, I pray that I would not say anything out of step with your will or your word today, and that I would simply hide behind the cross. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen. Well, C.S. Lewis once said that his fiction bubbled up out of his Christian worldview. And when he thought of Aslan creating Narnia, this is what bubbled up. In the darkness, something was happening at last. A voice had begun to sing. It was very far away, and Diggory found it hard to decide from which direction it was coming. Sometimes it seemed to come from all directions at once. Sometimes he almost thought it was coming up out of the earth beneath them. Its lower notes were deep enough to be the voice of the earth herself. There were no words. There there was hardly even a tune. But it was, beyond comparison, the most beautiful noise he had ever heard. It was so beautiful that he could hardly bear it. The lion was pacing to and fro that empty land and singing his new song. It was softer, more lifting than the song by which he had called up the stars and the sun. A gentle, rippling music, as if... And as he walked and sang, a valley grew green with grass. It spread up from the line like a pool, and it ran up the sides of the little hills like a wave. Polly was finding the song more and more interesting because she thought she was beginning to see a connection between the music and the things that were happening. Thus, with an, with an unspeakable thrill, she felt quite certain that all the things were coming, as she said, out of the lion's head. When you listened to his song, you heard the things were, that he was making up. When you looked around you, you saw them. This was so exciting that she had no time to be afraid. The lion paid no attention to them. Its huge red mouth was open, but open in song, not in a snarl. It passed by them so close that they could have touched its mane. They were terribly afraid it would turn and look at them. Yet in some strange way, they wished it would. In a few minutes, Diggory came to the edge of the wood, and there he stopped. The lion was singing still, but now the song had once more changed, and it was more like what you would call a tune, but it was far wilder. It made you want to run and jump and climb. It made you want to shout. It made you want to rush at other people and either hug them or fight them. Then there came a swift flash like fire, but it burnt nobody, either the sky or from the line itself, and every drop of blood tingled in the children's body. 
in the deepest, wildest voice they had ever heard was saying, Narnia, 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 awake, love, think, speak, be walking trees, be talking beast, be divine waters. Friends, Aslan sang Narnia into existence, and from his song came life. Today, you and I, we live in a better story than Narnia, right? It's better primarily because it's real. But the parallel here is is that in a similar way, our world came into existence. You see, our world came into existence from God's Word, the song of God's Word. And and that gives us a, a picture of what God's Word is. It's not stale, okay? It's, it's not like black and white words on a school textbook. But like this is song. And this Word comes from deep within Him. And, and when you look inside of Him, you see goodness and truth and love and beauty and glory. All that is found within Him. So when He communicates, it's like flipping on the lights and everything moves from black and white to color in that moment. The Word of God is life-giving. Today we begin this new series that we've called Deeper, and we're just exploring how how do people grow? How do people grow spiritually? And we're going to ask the question, how do we grow spiritually? And, And many have tried to grow by doing more and more and more. Maybe that's been your experience. Like spiritual growth doesn't necessarily come from doing more activities or attending more services or giving more or learning more or even experiencing more. Really the way spiritual growth happens is by going deeper. And God's given us these these tried and and true tools or these means of grace where he calls us to come deeper with him. He calls us to to be transformed in deeper ways in our spiritual life. And over these next four weeks, we're going to look at kind of four proven ways to grow spiritually. Spirituality really as as a term Kind of begins in the in the middle medieval ages as a as a Latin and a Christian term, and really what it meant was it meant okay that it was speaking about the inner life that's bound up with God the Spirit. Michael Haken leads the the biblical spirituality department at Southern Seminary, and he describes it this way. He says that spirituality is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, bringing to fruition all the things that Christ has purchased for us on the cross for the glory of God. So spirituality is this process of of dwelling with God or fellowshipping with God or or knowing God. But in that experience of of knowing Him, God has specific intentions for you in that experience. For for example, in Romans 8.29, it says that God has predestined you to be conformed to the image of His Son. So that spirituality of walking with him and knowing him, it has this intention of you looking increasingly like Jesus. Revelation 21 verse 3 talks about our eternity. And it says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. So this spiritual experience of of knowing God, it, it produces a life that looks more like God. That's where God is taking you in your spirituality. Now, if you're here today and all of that is like a mystery to you, then I'm so glad you're here. 
Because that's the point of these four messages. And the good news is, is that God has given us tried and true tools for growing in our spiritual life. He doesn't want it to be a mystery. He wants you to know. He wants you to know what it means to be a spiritual person, what it means to grow in the Lord, how you can grow spiritually. God has made it clear. And we're going to look at four key ways or key tools that God has given us on how to grow spiritually. Today we're going to look at the Word. Next week we're going to look at prayer After that, we're going to look at the church, and then we're going to look at mission. And all of those are spiritual tools to help us grow deeper in our spirituality. Today, we're going to ask, what is the word? And then we're going to ask and answer, how does the word help us grow deeper? And then we're going to see how this is actually really good news. And and I want to give you maybe some practical tips on how to do it. But my prayer at the end of the day is that you would keep his word. The first question we're going to ask is, what is the word? Look with me at 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The first question is, what is the word? And looking at this, I want you to notice four things here. First, he's referring to all Scripture is what he says there. So, so he, in other words, he, he's not picking and choosing what he likes and doesn't like, and he'll kind of, see, this is the Word of God, but that's not really the Word of God. I'm not going to obey that or follow that. He's not picking and choosing. He's saying that all of the Bible is the Word of God. It all possesses this spiritual power to help someone grow and to change. That's why at our church, we we just preach the full counsel of God's Word. Typically, what we do on a Sunday morning is we're just kind of walking through books of the Bible or or these consecutive passages of the Bible because all of the Bible is, is God's Word. The weird parts, the hard parts, all of that is God's word, and there's power in it. We, we just finished a series looking at the life of King Saul, and that, that is just as much God's word as John 3.16 is. And in all of those scriptures and all of those passages, you can mine these spiritual truths, these spiritual treasures that will bring you life. All of scripture is God's word. Number two, it says that the word is breathed out by God. In other words, the word is linked to who God is. It's linked to who God is. It comes from inside of him. Well, that begs the question, what's inside of God? Is there anything inside of God uh, that is erroneous or untruthful or wicked? Of course, the answer is no. And, And that's where we get our doctrine of inerrancy. That the word of God has no error in it. And it's because there's no error inside God and it comes out from inside God. Well, what is inside God? What, what is in him is good and holy and true and beautiful and profound. Therefore, the things that come out from him, his word is also good and holy and true and beautiful and good and profound. The word is like Aslan's song, that it comes out from within him. It's passionate. It's life-giving. God creates life through his word. The third thing I want you to see is that the word is profitable. It's for your spiritual benefit. That's why God gives us the word. It bears fruit. It turns a profit. God's word is not meant to be treated as only theoretical or, or, or speculative, as only this thing that the smart guys can kind of kick around and say things that nobody else understands. That, that's not why God's given us his word. He, yes, it, he wants us uh, to, to clearly understand it. And, and, and to be overly clear here, the Bible is all about biblical doctrinal truth, Right? That there's doctrinal truth in it. But, but that doesn't stay just merely in the theoretical or the speculative. 
Hebrews 4.12 says that God's word is living and active. Therefore, what happens with God's word is it bridges from the doctrinal and the speculative and it bridges into your real life. It's living and active. It can be applied to your life. It's meant to totally transform you. God's word is given for your good, for your spiritual benefit, for your profit. And for it to get more specific, what does it mean by profitable for your spiritual growth? Well, more specifically, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So we're supposed to use it as we're using it today to to teach, but we're supposed to teach in ways that help people be transformed by the Word of God. It's it's meant to be taught in a way that rebukes wrong behaviors or, or corrects wrong beliefs so that we can become more righteous is what the Word says there. We're to become increasingly righteous. We're to become more and more conformed to the image of Jesus. You're to look increasingly like Jesus as you study and apply God's word. God's primary tool here is, as it says here, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is his primary tool for your spiritual maturity. For you to be complete, taken to your intended end. God, everything in your life, if you want to live the good life or if you want to do good things, it's found by understanding and then applying God's word to your life. That's how he does it. This is the primary tool that is profitable for you for your spiritual growth. That's what it is. Now, if you're looking for a definition of what is the word of God, it's simply God's communication. But his communication is different than your communication and my communication, right? Like I can communicate things to you that are helpful. Well, let's be honest, I can communicate things to you that are hurtful also, right? God's different in that way. He doesn't communicate anything to you that is not helpful to you, helpful for your spiritual growth. He's always communicating to you things that are helpful for your spiritual growth. But, but also, there's times that I communicate and it, it just falls flat. It's powerless. It, it doesn't accomplish what I intended for it to, comp- to accomplish. But God's different. There's power in His communication. So it accomplishes its end. So when he says in in Hebrews 4 again that it is living and active, that's what he means there. It's living and active. It's it's searching out. It's accomplishing what it intends to accomplish. And and when God speaks, he creates life. So if you think back to, to Genesis 1, let there be light. And then what happened? There was light. He spoke light into existence. That's what his word does. You remember the New Testament in John chapter 11 when Lazarus has passed away and Jesus stands before that tomb and he says, Lazarus, come forth. You know what happened? Lazarus came forth. That's what his word does. It brings or creates life. Now, we see taste of this today. We, we see taste of how, uh, how the word can, can bring this life-giving power, right? You can do this with, with any art form, okay? Any art form at some level can kind of bring life-giving power. But, you know, we're, we're talking about the word. We've used Aslan singing Narnia into existence, so I'll pick on music. Have you, ever, have you ever had that song that's just spoken to you? Some song that's just really moved you? Have you ever had that experience where words on paper have just been life-giving to your soul? Have you ever had that? Last month, a, a nobody, and I mean a nobody, in the woods in Virginia, he writes this song, sings this song, goes to number one on iTunes, just, just out of nowhere, okay? It, it, Anthony, or Oliver Anthony, his song, Rich Men North of Richmond, just shot to number one, okay? Now, now listen, 
I warn you, there's some cussing in there, so kids, you know, be warned. And, and listen, you can, you can pick that thing apart. That, that's fine. It's fine to criticize it. Do whatever you want with it. But, but that song has spoken to people's souls, hasn't it? Like, like if you've heard that song, it, it, you know that it has spoken to certain people. And I've just, I've just kind of been fascinated by the, by the rise of it. And so I got into a YouTube wormhole on this thing. And, I, and I, this guy's a nobody, okay? Like, his gigs are farmer's markets, okay? So I watched this YouTube video. He's at a farmer's market. There's like 12 people there, okay? And I'm, and I'm listening to this song and this guy singing. And I just, my, my eyes were, were drawn to one. I just identified, I don't know, there was something about this one guy in the audience that caught my attention. I think it's because I really identified with him. Slightly overweight, middle-aged white guy. That's my people, I was drawn to him, okay? This dude in this song puts up his big old mitt, and he just starts pumping it. And there was something in those words, there was something in that song that was just speaking to his soul. I no idea what was going on in that guy's life. But there was something there, and that, that's the power of music. That's, that's the power of words, that, that, it, that it can bring life. Listen to me, that's what this thing is. That's what this book is. It's, it's meant to bring you life. It's more than words on paper. It's, it's more than weird, outdated stories. It's more than doctrines that, that have been used by the powerful to the oppressed. Listen, if, if they've done that and they've done that in the press, they were doing it wrong because it was meant to, to be profitable. It's meant to bring you spiritual life. What is the word? It's the communication of God that brings spiritual growth. But the second question is how, okay? If that's true, how does the Word of God help us go deeper? Well, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 119. If you're not sure where it is, it's right in the middle. This is the longest psalm in, in the entire uh, book of Psalms. We're going to look at verses 57 to 64. Psalm 119, verses 57 to 64. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I, think, when I think on my own ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your laws. At midnight, I rise to praise you. Because of your righteous rules, I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O oh Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. N- notice the, the soul-filling, the just heart-stirring tone of this passage. Do you see that? This isn't black and white words on a page. There's a tone here that is filled with passion. He says in verse 57, the Lord is my portion. But like, like this man's spiritual life is not stale. God is a feast to him. He then cries in in verse 58, I entreat your favor with all my heart. This man is full of passion. And then he sings in verse 64, The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. This man's Christianity, it's not about frivolous theological debates. It's not about maintaining a list of do's and don'ts. It has this deeper soul-filling aspect and tone to it. He wants to dwell with God. He wants to know God. His heart is burning. His heart is alive. Do you see the tone of it? But, but also, do you notice the link between the Word and God? There's a link between the Word and God here. The, the Word is the avenue to God. 
See, the, the, for him, the, he doesn't view the word as this obstacle to God or, or this useless like spiritual duty that just kind of gets in the way of his spirituality. He, he, he says that, that he goes to the word because of your righteous rules, verse, six to, uh, verse 62, that at midnight I rise to praise you. What is that? Isn't that an amazing comment? Like, like, like God's word and will and rules, they bring him so much joy that in the middle of the night, he wakes up. He doesn't wake up to like, because he's anxious about things going on. He, he doesn't wake up to, to run through that list of grievances again and relitigate all the wrongs that were done against him. He wakes up to worship God. And he uses God's word to get there. He longs to be in the presence of God, to dwell with God. And he uses God's word to get there. But how? How does the word help us go deeper? Look again at verse 57. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. Keep your words. Listen, depending on your translation, it might say obey or observe or hold on to. The idea is to to, to carefully heed or to diligently watch, to keep your word. That, that, that's how he gets there. In other words, the psalmist is not treating God's word like other books on his shelf. He's treating it differently than, than maybe classic works of literature or, or technical works of theology or profound works of philosophy. All those things are good, but this is something different. There's something different here. For him, God's word is less about speculation and it's more about transformation. It wasn't about chit-chat over drinks, but it was this guide to living. You see, if God's word said it, he believed it. If God's word said it, he did it. If God's word said it, he found joy in him, in it. Let's get more specific. We'll look at four ways here if he keeps God, God's word. Number one in verse 59, when I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. So as he's reflecting on God's word, he's rolling it around in his mind, interpreting it, He's letting it change the direction of his life. Is that what you do with God's word? You come to it asking it to change you, or are you debating it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Or do you come to it and you just let it, let it stew in your mind so that it can change you? Number two in verse 60 says, I, I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. You see, he was quick to convictionally do what the Bible said him to do. He didn't come to it to argue against it. He came to it to be changed by it and to do what it called him to do. Number three in verse 61, he says, Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your laws. No matter the challenges, no matter the trials, he was going to do what God's word called him to do. He kept remembering God's word no matter how the world responded to him. In every age, young people, in every age, that the world is in opposition to God's word in some way. And you're going to have to go against the will of the world in order to be faithful to it. It was the same in the Psalms, and it's the same today. And then, of course, finally in verse 62, at midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rule. You see, living this way, it was just coupled with genuine commitment. There was a commitment that he had to the Lord and to his word. He wasn't like those nominal people today who maybe have one leg in the world and then one leg in the church. He was committed. However, that commitment, it led to real joy. You wake up in the middle of the night just 
excited to sing praises to the Lord, to go into God's presence. Friend, this type of commitment led to real joy. Listen, the Bible certainly informs, okay? But know that it also fuels. So, so it informs us about God, but it fuels us to know God. It informs us on, on how to grow, but it also just pumps this fuel in us in order, so that, in order to grow. It informs us on how someone can be saved, but, it, but it's also the fuel for someone to actually be saved. It informs us how to live a life conformed to the image of Jesus, but the Bible itself becomes this source of sanctification, of spiritual growth. It, it informs, but it also fuels I have a, a friend that, that got his, his dream job. Now, this is the, the type of job uh, that when I found out that he had this job, I, honestly, I looked at him differently, okay? I, I was just impressed, okay? And, and I, had, I had, honestly, I didn't really know that job existed, and I, and I remember making the comment, how did, you, how did you apply for that job? He goes, you don't apply for that job. You get recruited for that job. I said, okay. And, and he admitted this that job was the most professionally fulfilling experience he'd ever had before that or after that. Okay, This was, this was like his dream job, and, and he loved getting this job. He loved getting this opportunity. He loved everything about it. The problem was is that job wrecked everything else in his life. He was married. Uh, they had had their first child, and the job didn't pay very well, so they were sinking deeper and deeper into debt. And... Uh, uh, he was gone a lot with this job, so his wife was left alone in this lonely house. She was in this new city. She knew no one, but she was stuck at home with this baby, and she was miserable. And, and eventually, as they walked through that season, there were some truths of God's word about sacrificially loving his wife that just kept popping up. Uh, Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He loved his job, but God's word was calling him to love his wife more. Eventually, he gave up this beloved job because he loved his family more. However, Alan, every now and then when we would talk, he would, he would tell me stories about that stage of his life. And, and they were fun stories, but the more stories he took, I, I, I noticed that it just didn't sound like him. And, and I said one day, I said, man, you are, you are so different now than what you were then. And he goes, yeah, that's right. And you see, this man from that moment in his life, he had just submitted himself to God's word. He wasn't perfect, but, but I saw him many years later, and he had been totally transformed. God's word had grown him. He knew God in deeper ways, and he had grown to look more and more like God as a result of keeping God's word. If you want to grow deeper, if you want to know God better, if you want to be transformed into his image, the pathway is the Bible. That's how you get there. And you have to read it. You have to do the work to understand it. You have to apply it to your life. How does the word help us grow deeper? The answer is that when we keep it, then we grow deeper. That's the answer, when you keep it. This is good news, though. If you're sitting here like, this doesn't sound like I'm telling you, this is good news. It's good news because like the ancients, we, we tend to kind of push God's word away, like, like at arm's length. We, we, want it, we want it to just in these speculative or theoretical categories, but keeping it is better. Let me give you a third passage. If you have your Bibles, go to Acts uh, 17. In Acts 17, this is the, the Mars Hill account. Now, 
Paul, at the end of the day, he was a church planting missionary. That's what Paul did. Rolled into a community, shared the gospel, got some people were converted. He organized them into a church. He established the church, appointed elders, and then he moved on. That's essentially what Paul did. He was a church planting missionary. So he would go in and he would share the gospel. But that would open up different audiences with different people. So here in Acts 17, he gets an opportunity to arguably speak to the smartest men in the world. Okay? And, and here's what he was saying. If you look at uh, 1718, here was his message. Here was the word of God. Uh, it was about Jesus and the resurrection. It, that's what he was telling people, about Jesus and the resurrection. And, and he was saying, based on Romans 10.9, which is also his words, he would tell them that Jesus died as a payment for their sins. And if they would believe in him, if they would confess their sins and believe in their heart that Jesus raised him, that God raised him from the dead, victorious over sin and death, then they would be saved. That was his message. Now, that was new and that was strange, okay? Things that are new and strange, what the intelligentsia does, they want to hear more about it. So that's what they did. They wanted to hear more about it. This thing is new, this thing is strange, and they want to hear more about it. But, but here's the deal. Most of them, they just wanted it at arm's length. They wanted to leave it in these categories of speculative, of theoretical. And in verse 32, we see what most people do, how most people respond to the word of God. It says that some mocked God's word. So for them, it was about this, this toy to debate, this idea to hold up, look at it at different angles, debate it all from these different angles, but, but not really to apply it. Now, listen, if you're there today, I want you to hear something. That's the, that's the safe response. And it's kind of safe for a couple of reasons. Number one, you're going to come off looking really smart, okay? Like it's easy to throw out some, you know, cheap argument. Well, if God is all-powerful, could he create something that is so big that he couldn't pick it up? I mean, I mean come on. I mean, are we in freshman philosophy? Like, like you can always throw out something like that, okay? But, but, that, but you're hiding, okay? You're hiding when you do that. You're trying to look smarter than everybody, but in reality, you're hiding. But the other thing is, is you're not allowing it to change you. Like, like you don't have to change. If you just kind of keep it at arm's length, keep it in those theoretical, speculative categories, then you don't have to change. So it's a safe response, okay? But, but look at verse 34. And this is also what happens when the Word of God is proclaimed. Verse 34 says, Some men joined him and believed. Some obeyed God's word. Some observed, observed it. Some held on to it. Some kept it. You know what happened to them? They found forgiveness. They found redemption. They found adoption. They found salvation. They found new life. They found abundant life. They found joy. They found spiritual growth. That's what happened to them. Friends, keeping the word of God is good news. It's where you find spiritual growth. Do you need a formula for this? But I'm uh, discipling leaders, and how do we study the Bible? I, I give them kind of, kind of four things. Four, sorry, three words here on how to study the Bible. Observation, interpretation, application. That's how you study the Bible. That, that's how you keep it. That's how you, how you mine things from it. Observation, interpretation, application. Observation answers the question, what do I see? So it's actively, intentionally reading the Bible. You have to come to it with intellectual intrigue. You have to read it not as this box to check, but as this, this love letter, this guide to life that you're just devouring. 
Read it repeatedly, thoughtfully, patiently, selectively. Ask that question, what do I see here? Do do, do the work of, of, of making observations. But second, if you want to keep God's word, you also have to make interpretations. So you have to ask the question, you have to ask the question, what does it mean? Maybe that, maybe that means you use study tools or like a commentary or, or a study Bible to help you just go deeper in your knowledge. Understand the context around the passage. Compare it with other passages in the Bible. Do the work of determining its meaning. And, and then third, if you want to keep God's word, it also means you have to make applications. Ask the question, how does it work? Ask if there's an example to follow. Is there a sin in here that I'm supposed to avoid? Is there a promise that I'm supposed to believe? Is there a command that I'm supposed to obey? Truly meditating on the the text and seeking to understand it, it leads to this place of, okay, how does it relate to my life? Is there, uh, seek to discover if there's some sort of new practice you need to practice. Determine if there's a a principle that you need to apply to yourself. What, what, What are you going to do with this truth? That's the question you need to ask. Observation, interpretation, application. Listen, walking through that process, it takes faith. It takes time. I think it takes mental energy and work. But it's how you keep the word of God. It's how you grow closer to him. It's how you grow to become increasingly like him. It's how you find joy. It's how you grow spiritually. This is his first tool for you. This week I thought of, just so many examples of so many people's lives of how this has worked out. But, but, but I want to close with one of the first times I really saw this in my own life. Um, I'd grown up in a Christian home. I grew up in a Bible-believing church. I heard the gospel regularly at, at church. And, and I was converted at the young age of seven. And I, and I think that was legitimate for me as I, as I look back on that. But by the time I, I graduated high school, I wasn't really walking with the Lord. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. I wasn't a terrible person, okay, if you knew me back then. Like, like I, was, I was a pretty nice guy. I hadn't rejected the faith. I wasn't mean to people. I think I was nice. I think I was a likable, ethical person, okay? That's where I was. But I think the best way to describe me back then is I had one foot in the world and one foot in the church. Have you ever been there? You ever known people that are there? That, that, that's, that's where I was. And, and, and I had tried a couple of directions, okay? And, and it just hadn't worked out. And so I was kind of at this place of life where I, would, I was just kind of directionless. And then, and, and I want to say this right, in God's sovereign grace, in God's sovereign grace, he chose to discipline me as a consequence for a college prank. Sounded fun, sounded funny at the time, and then I got in all this trouble. But in God's grace, it forced me to just kind of evaluate my life. Like, like what am I doing? What am I living for? In short, I didn't have peace, okay? And I just started reading the Bible. And, and, I, and there were nights I sat up all night just reading the Bible. And, and there was one verse in particular in that season that just jumped out at me. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Now, some nights I had trouble falling asleep. I was wrestling with anxieties. I was wrestling with disappointments. I didn't have the peace that Jesus was talking about there. I read that verse, and I, I did not relate to it. It seemed so foreign to me. I didn't have that peace that Jesus was talking about, but I wanted that peace. 
I wanted that peace, and I wanted it to come through him. And I would repeat that verse over and over and over again. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I said that over and over, and I would take my anxious and angry thoughts captive by repeating that verse over and over again. And no lie, I, there were times I fell asleep at night just repeating that verse. And you know what happened? I kept that verse, and God kept his promise. God bless me with peace. And then I married Kristen and planted Redeemer Church, and everything was roses after that. But seriously, God's word is a bridge to going deeper in your spiritual life. It's how you, it's how you grow deeper spiritually. The Bible is the avenue. The Bible's the bridge. Reject the temptation to play it safe. Don't push God's word away as only theoretical or speculative. When you do that, you're hiding. When, when you do that, you're actually pushing God away, not just his word. When you do that, you're stunting your spiritual growth. But if you want to grow, if you want to go deeper in your spiritual life, if you want to go deeper in your relationship with God, if you want to look more like Jesus, if you want spiritual maturity, if you want to experience eternal life and abundant life, then the charge is to keep his word. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for these passages. And, and thank you that, that your word is clear. It's not this big mystery. You and your grace have communicated to us. You've communicated about yourself. You've communicated the good news of how we can be saved and how we can grow in you. Lord, we just thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that that we would do the faithful work of making those observations, those interpretations, those applications. May we never fall into the safe trap of just keeping it at a speculative, theoretical place. But may we apply it to our lives and be transformed by it. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray.